Welcome to an all new year and the seventh season of the Otherworldly Oracle official podcast of Burning Hallows production. We are your otherworldly hosts, Kitty Fields and Alora Rain. This season, we are talking palmistry, gods, goddesses, liminal spaces, witchy tools, famous witches, and much more. Not to mention, Mamir's Well is coming back with all the controversy. If you just can't get enough of our witchy banter and hilarious antics, head over to our Patreon and sign up. We do lots of cool stuff over there during the season, like mini-sodes, blooper reels, and most importantly, Book of Shadows pages to accompany each and every episode of the podcast. And for our season premiere, there are seven BOS pages exclusively about palmistry. And now on to the show. Palmistry is one art that mystifies mystics worldwide as palm readers are small in number in this modern era. The lines on our hands are as unique as our DNA. They shift and change, but they belong to only us. Today, we are joined by our very special guest and palmist and one of my dear Perth friends and colleagues, Corin George. She is the self-proclaimed heretic priestess and has made a career of mysticism here in Perth. She also has an online presence with folks seeking her out from all over the world for her wisdom, guidance, intuitive abilities, and experience. In this episode, Corin will share her 30 plus years of palmistry knowledge. She also seeks to show us that a new evolution of palmistry is calling, determined to place the feminine divine back where it firmly belongs, in our hands. So first of all, welcome, Corin. Thank yeah, you. welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you. I'm so honored to be here. So Kitty, meet Corin. Corin, this is my bestie and co-host. Hi. I think you guys are behind the scenes, but we'll do this for the audience at home. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's Lovely very to nice meet you to meet you and Kitty. have you on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. So before we really get started, Corin, can you tell our listeners a bit about yourself and your practice in your own words? Yeah, I've been a chiromancer here in Perth, Western Australia, well, since the 90s, with a couple of years frames. Now, as well as palmistry, I read tarot, I dabble in divinity, astrology, and human design. I have training in meditation, hypnotherapy, counseling, and transformational mentorship. But I'm also a divine channel, energy worker, and soul guide. I weave healing, shamanic journeys, meditations with deities, divine energies, and archetypes. I offer power and soul retrievals, and my work has been centered around helping people reclaim their lost and stolen power. But palmistry has been the center of my work and has been my passion um, since I started working professionally. And over the years, it has evolved through me. From my personal experience, by blending the knowledge I have acquired, logic and spirit. As far Jeez, as my I spiritual path. Sorry? Oh, I'm just going to interrupt you there for a second. I was going to say your resume makes me feel a little bit intimidated. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. Hardly. 
Well, look, as far as my spiritual path goes, I guess I've always been on it, even though it's it's not really in in my family. If anything, my family are probably, for the most part, just very loose deists. But Hmm. when I was five, my Pentecostal aunt called me the little witch. That was about the same time I found ISIS. When I was 11, Hmm. my granny gave me a set of tarot cards that she won in a raffle and didn't know what to do with. My mum had one of those old, you know, the Ouija board games lying around that I absolutely adored. But in Perth in the 80s, resources were hard to come by, especially for someone who was young. Yeah, I can imagine Um, because I know from being in the US and what little resources we had in the 90s, like, and knowing what it's like over here with book printing and resources over here, I can't, I can't even imagine you probably didn't have much at all there was one bookshop one bookshop that I had to go into the city that sold you know basically metaphysical spell books tarot cards things like that anything that was not mainstream and of course in the late 80s and early 90s this stuff was definitely not mainstream you'd be lucky to find a basic rate of weight in a in a bookshop right So, but yeah, I I was literally called to doing the spirit work after trying to fit into a mundane world and a mundane job and failing miserably at it. Mm. I could, I could pretend, but only for so long. And after working in a big office broke me, I was unwell for a very long time. I was Mm. so lost. And one day in utter despair, I threw my hands to the universe and said, what the hell do you bastards want from me? You know, do I go back to school? Do I go back to what nearly killed me? What 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 the F do you want? And within a few weeks, through weird coincidences and pure fate, I was reading palms in the Fremantle markets. But I literally had to learn palmistry to work this job. Okay, hang on just a second, because I'm going to explain the Fremantle markets for Kitty. So here in Perth, the Fremantle markets is basically like an open air market. So it's like, how do I put this? Kitty, you might know a little bit about what I'm talking about because you're down in Florida, but people in California would definitely know what I'm talking about because a lot of their shopping centers, malls and things are all outdoor. But this is a big pavilion where it's like a flea market almost, but bigger than that. Yeah, I got you. Very very touristy. I got you. Yeah, it's a very big touristy market. It was kind of like the flagship markets in Perth at the time. The woman who owned the store, she was lovely. She was a great mentor in some ways. I mean, she told me which books to get, but other than read this book, read this book, read this book, mush them together and answering a few questions, that was kind of the guidance she gave me. You're on the job training. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. It's pretty much read this book, get that book, read that book, ignore that mush that with that, answer the few questions. And that was kind of it. Over the years, my work has been a path of evolution and healing. I had to do some serious shadow work to break some old shackles. And now my focus is helping empower those awakening in a rapidly evolving world. My personal Mm. human design and my astrology show that this is what I'm here to do. And that's kind of where the heretic priestess came from. It, It was a joke that came up from my human design in a little shared circle I sit in with a few very powerful women who challenged me to run with it. And I did. And and now I absolutely embrace it. But on a mundane level, 
on a mundane level, look, I'm married to my one and only. We've been together for nearly 34 years. We have two beautiful boys and they're all very supportive of my work, although not terribly spiritual within themselves. So yeah, that's me. Well, that's a lot of experience. <laughs> that is intimidating. <laughs> oh, I'm not intimidating. Well, actually I can be. You can be. It depends on who you ask. <laughs> okay. So we, as in you and I, we yes. have talked extensively about this book that you are writing, Evolutionary Palmistry, which yes. it aims to bring palmistry into the modern era. And when we were talking, I was absolutely blown away when you explained to me how the divine feminine was erased from the palm throughout various systems of palmistry. So this next question has two parts. So I'll say both parts and then you can break it sure. down from there. What did you mean by the divine feminine was absent or erased from the palm? And what deities does the palm incorporate currently? Well, the truth of the matter is I don't think that the feminine has ever truly been honoured in palmistry. Now, I must admit that I cannot definitively answer that from the Vedic perspective. Um, I didn't have access to traditional Vedic texts when I was learning, and those that I did have access to had already been translated or Romanized. Mm -hmm. I believe there, there were more feminine aspects, but those feminine aspects were seen as the negative. And since the Romanization of palmistry, even traditional Vedic readers have started using the Roman names, and the only feminine aspects were two mounts, one for Venus and one for Luna or the moon. To add to that, Venus wasn't even given her own finger. She was ousted by Apollo, who isn't even Roman. Now that mm. to me feels like a definitive feminine snub, especially since Mars had three mounts named after him. Apparently the main archetypes, archetype aspects are named to correlate to astrology. So our fingers are Jupiter, Saturn, Apollo, Mercury. The mounts once seen beneath these fingers are named after the same. As I said before, there are three that are named after Mars. Mars has the inner, lower or positive Mars, the outer, upper or negative Mars, and the plane of Mars. With Good the Lord. mount of Luna or the, yeah, with the mount of the Luna or the Moon and Venus right at the bottom. Okay, so let's back up a second. Sure. Kitty, I know that yeah. you and I have done some episodes on just history and, you know, different cultural things. Mm -hmm. And this is like another example of how Rome sucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, and I just always think the Roman Empire, Roman Empire, you know, the whole thing. But yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, but also the Roman Empire. Why do you think men think about that? Right. Right? Yeah, my point exactly, yes. <laughs> because like even with the Celts and things like that, the Roman Empire certainly sucks because <laughs> they tend to <laughs> everything they come into contact with, right? But also with this three Mars thing with, with these mounts, is this a measuring of, you know, penises? <laughs> like, 
BDE. <laughs> I got to have three mounts. Yeah. It's a bit much. Are we kidding? Rome was like the cradle of patriarchy. Yeah, definitely. Kitty, where can listeners find our BOS pages that detail all of the things that we're talking about? Well, I think we've said it before, but we're going to say it again. You can go to patreon.com slash burning hallows. And if you're already a patron there, you can find them on the homepage or you can sign up and you can have access to all of the pages that go along with these episodes. And they're actually really helpful. So you can follow along and take notes, print them out, what, what have you. They're also amazing and beautiful. And <laughs> I don't know, I'm a big fan of our POS pages. I'm a fan of yours, not so much mine, but I'm I'm progressing. So, girl, I can't even set tell the people what you're into these days because it's a surprise. But you're surpassing me. Let's just say that. Whatever. Not okay. So, Corin, the deities that we just talked about being in the hand. Yes. Let's talk a little bit about the history of palmistry. Absolutely. And if any of this is sounds weird or is incorrect, please correct me because I'm definitely not the authority on palmistry. And Kitty, I think I'll have you do some of this too, because it's a little bit long. Okay. So palmistry first appeared in the Vedas over 4,000 years ago. Does that sound about right yeah. to you, Corin? The first written and comprehensive evidence we have of palmistry did come from the Vedas. Yeah, it was about 3,000 BC. Okay. Every culture in the world has used some system of palmistry, though the most famous are arguably the Chinese, Vedic, and Greco-Roman systems. Pretty much, although there is some conjecture that the very, very, very first origins came out of ancient Egypt, but this was mm. before writing. So there is no empirical evidence that it did, just conjecture. There's a lot of stories that say that it, it originated in ancient Egypt and spread out from there, but because the Egyptians at that stage weren't keeping records, we don't have proof of it. Only possibilities that have come through some anthropologists. Right, got ya. Yeah, before writing, it's hard to prove anything. Yeah. We've got Chinese and Vedic palmistry emerged semi-close together, but European palmistry can be traced back to cultural exchange from traveling mystics who came to Europe from India or the Middle East. Yes. Yes, that's true. Yep. So palmistry, palmistry was a profession by 2000 BCE. Since we have ancient scriptures that have been located that instruct monks not to read palms for money. That's nice. <laughs> that make money. <laughs> the first <laughs> modern palmist was, oh my God, somebody say that for me. Paracelsus. Paracelsus. Okay. Who oddly enough was also the first to introduce chemistry to medicine. Note, science and magic have gone hand in hand. Oh, I like that for centuries. 
I did that. <laughs> Play on words. This argument that if you believe in science, you cannot believe in magic or the divine is a modern concept. Yeah, I agree with that. Hang on there for just a second. So for those out there who may not know who Paracelsus is, he was kind of like the first doctor, essentially. And he is where we get the modern symbol for medical doctors from the two snakes and the, the caduceus, the two snakes and the staff. Hmm. Would you say he was more of like the first modern med- medicine doctor you're saying? I don't know. Modern. Oh. I mean, in the 1500s, but I guess I, <laughs> I don't know. I My bad. I just don't know anything about him. I'll have to do some research. I mean, he's, he's a classicist. Like we're, we're still in Greece here. I got you. Did palmists always read both hands or was there a time when they only read the dominant hand? That is a good question. That is actually, it depends upon the culture. Some cultures will only read a man's right hand and a woman's left hand. And mm. sometimes that, that actually gets swapped over depending upon the culture. It was seen because the masculine side or the dominant side was active and dominant and you know, masculine and logical, whereas the left side was passive, emotional, sentimental. So it was like right was masculine, left was feminine. And, of Mm. course, in the modern day, that crap does not fly. Well, (laughs) so I don't think ascribing masculine and feminine to right and left forever and ever holds true, but I do believe that... The dominant hand is the masculine hand and the non-dominant hand is the feminine hand. And I'll tell you why, because the non-dominant hand, right, is our subconscious. It's our receiver. It's our intuition. So I don't feel like that's always the left hand, but I do feel like that's always the non-dominant hand. Well, it, it depends on how you kind of look at it because especially it's especially known that left-handed people are or have a tendency to be more artistic and more creative. So, mm. and of course, our left hand is closely, is more closely connected to our heart because our heart is on our left side. So it's like the energy of the heart flows more smoothly through our left hand. Mm. Yeah, that, yeah. I, th- I think that makes sense. Yeah, I don't know, though. I like the anatomical <laughs> heart to the hand, though, thing. That makes sense to me. Yes, yes, it does. I mean, I get that. But when we're talking about intuition and things like that, and divination especially, like the non-dominant is connected to the subconscious, whereas yeah, your I mean- dominant conscious hand. From a palmistry perspective, that is how I read it. It's like the hand that you write with, your dominant hand is your active hand. This is what you are actively pursuing. And your non-dominant, yes, is those subconscious elements. But when it comes up with a left hand, everything dominant will have that emotional flavour, that creative Mm -hmm. artistic flavour just tends to flow more smoothly through the left hand. Very interesting. My my grandfather was actually left-handed. Now, he went to school in a convent 
in Shanghai in World War II. It was literally beaten out of him because Mm. the left hand was considered to be the devil's and it was actually beaten out of him. Now, my grandfather was an artist and an architect and very talented, but his hand, his writing always looked a little scratchy and it would have been amazing to have seen just how good he could have been had he allowed to express his creativity through his left hand. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, we did, we actually did entire episode on the left hand path. So that's really funny that that has come up, but I think the question about, did they always read the dominant hand is more so connecting back to the patriarchy aspect as well, because it's like, if they looked at that particular hand as the patriarchal hand, would they have only read that particular hand? Yes, absolutely. Because the the hand that we write with a right hand is the active dominant, you know, active logical hand. And our left was seen as our passive, emotional and submissive hand. Which is interesting too, because they didn't come up with alternative labels or deities in the left hand. Do you know what I mean? Like they still used that domineering energy for the left hand, even though that's not what they believed. Yeah. No, they didn't. Do you they think didn't that was by it, design they, or they, just laziness? I think it was that there was definite intention to it. It was seen as anything feminine was seen as lesser. I think even Not when, important. yeah, even, I mean, in, I think in Vedic, the satin finger actually had feminine connotations to it in, in the Vedas. I, I couldn't get names and things like that for it. But again, it was all, that was a negative. It was considered to be a negative power. Anything negative was seen as feminine, which even from of the Vedas is interesting. Because we will seduce you with our feminine wiles. <laughs> well, I think it was, let's face it, the, the flow of femininity, because when we stand in that feminine energy, it is a flowing, unpredictable thing, and that intimidates weak masculine. No, of course it does, because we have the power to create and destroy within our body. Absolutely, which is why so many of the feminine goddesses were goddesses of duality. Yes. I love this conversation. (laughs) Kitty's just like, I'll just listen all day long. (laughs) Yeah. Laura and I have some juicy ones. Oh, yeah, we do. We get like all deep and then we're like, okay, I think we need to go outside and like get some air. So with the book that you're looking to write, do you want to include the feminine divine only in the hands or are you looking to mesh the masculine and the feminine and why have you chosen that particular route to travel? Look, I'm a five planet Libra and stellium. So I'm all about the balance. Holy Uh, crap ball. (laughs) Eighth house for anyone is interesting too. Transformation balance. That's that's me. I don't feel renaming simply for the sake of renaming is wise or necessary. My technique mm. will incorporate both masculine and feminine, as we are all a blend of both energies. To leave one out for the other diminishes our power and the totality of all who we are and all we can be. We must look at both our masculine and our feminine aspects and using both masculine and feminine archetypes will help us understand and interpret the energies far easier. 
That's awesome. So you're still going to find those old deities, the original classic deities there, but yes. there's going to be feminine additions. Yes. Elaborating, breaking down some of the old restrictors, but also to, I think we, we'll go into a bit more in a, in a little bit, but the mounts have changed. Elements mm. in the hands have changed. Our hands have evolved. You know, we don't do the yeah. same work that we used to do, you know, 2,000 years ago. We're not all farmers. We don't all tend animals. We don't all do physical work anymore. So, of mm. course, the muscles and the shapes in our hands have changed and palmistry needs to evolve to catch up. Oh, wow. I didn't even think about any of that. That's super interesting. Yeah, and I think one of the things that we put in our infographic that everybody can find on our Facebook page and is open to the public. But one of the differences between your system of palmistry and the classical system of palmistry is that in the classic system of palmistry, palms don't change. It's a static divinatory system. So if you get your hand read when you're 18, it's the same reading you're going to get when you're 28. Yeah, that's, that's the typical belief system. And the truth of the matter is the only thing on your palm that is static are your prints. Your prints Mm. do not change unless you damage or scar your hands beyond recognition. I believe that palm prints actually form in the womb between like eight and 12 weeks of gestation and fundamentally stay the same from birth to death. But the shape of your hands changed dramatically. I mean, for goodness sake, our hands are not the same shape from when we were babies to when we're teenagers, from right. when we're teenagers to the age of 40, from when we're 40 to the age of 80. I mean, weight fluctuations will change the shape of your hands. Arthritis will change the shape of your hands. So they okay. change dramatically. Now that we kind of have defined the difference between your system and classical palmistry, because your system embraces the fact that hands change all the time and you can get your palm read this month and then next month it will be different. Now I will say that it it, it won't be dramatically different because the hands are slow changes, but there are certain Mm. aspects that can come and go quite quickly. And one Mm. thing that will always change your hand very quickly in a very short period of time is something like psoriasis or dermatitis, which is interesting that these things pop up in times of extreme stress because after your hands peel, the lines can shift quite a bit. Mm. Oh, wow. Okay. That's interesting. (laughs) I just thought when I was 10, I had scarlet fever and my whole body peeled, including my hands. So I wonder. I have, there's a young woman that I work with regularly and she works on the mines and her hands regularly go through peels and she will send me photos after every peel. And so we have got this series of images watching as certain lines on her hands will shift. So yeah, this is not just something I've I've come up. Literally, I have been watching this. I have libraries of hands thousands of images of people's hands and watch them. You have my hand. I do. So now that we know a little bit of palm reading history, Mm -hmm. can you tell us what deities, energies you're going to be incorporating from the feminine divine to put some 
woman power, girl power back into or into palm reading? Well, look, my, my technique is going to be truly archetypal. And although I would love to rename more in the feminine, being able to learn to not only understand the meanings of the different aspects of the hands, but to be able to use these divine beings and archetypes to heal the blocks and obstacles is really important to me. My focus will always be on the healing and empowerment aspect. So my first aim was to try to mm. bring it into alignment with archetypical evolved astrology. But even that had a distinct absence of the feminine. So I have branched out a little bit further. My system incorporates the divine from the three most known of the old pantheons, which is Greek, Roman and Egyptian. Mm. Roman masculine archetypes that are still very fitting and apt. Now, changing them for the sake of changing them doesn't serve anyone. Saturn right. will always be structural Saturn. Mercury will always be communication. But Venus needs to be our ring finger. She should have always been our ring finger. And another thing, to, as we were talking about, our hands change significantly. And now... Traditional palmistry doesn't recognize that, but if evolutionary palmistry sees that the mounts that used to sit beneath our fingers now actually sit between them, predominantly will sit between the fingers. So it blends the energies. So instead of the so, traditional eight mounts, we're looking at 18 to 20. I'm just going to interrupt you for a second. Sure. And we can go back to the reason for these mounts occurring in between the fingers as well goes back to the fact that we don't do the same type of work that we did back in ancient Rome or classical Greece. Absolutely. It comes yeah. from the fact that our hands have evolved. Our work has evolved. A lot more of us are sitting behind desks. I mean, we're on devices. I mean, this has only been yeah. the last you know, 20, 10, 10, 20 years that, that devices, computers, things like that have become such a mainstay in everyone's day. And we can understand why the mounts have shifted because we have to tap into more blended energies. So now these mounts are actually kind of forming beneath, not beneath the fingers anymore, although some people will have them. And farmers, people that still live traditional lifestyles are still more likely to have the more traditional hand shapes. But again, how they farm has changed. So some have shifted dramatically, some have not. The other thing to just keep in mind when looking at these, even though we're looking now at 18 to 20 different mounts, not all of them will appear on everyone's hand. We will have those right. that are specific to our gifts, our powers and our talents. I think I would need to go to your college Corin, in order to learn all of this, because this sounds very in-depth and very interesting, but I feel like I would have to dedicate a lot of time to this <laughs> to fully, fully get it. It's the way I'm, I'm hoping to teach, because I have, have actually got the book that's coming up, which will lead into some courses for just people wanting to learn the basics right through to people who want to heal and, and nice. really work as a professional reader with, with my techniques. Again, moving from the finality that palmistry once was, it would absolutely tell you that this is this is this. Whereas now it's like, okay, no, this is not an absolute. It, this is where your wound is. This is where your block is. 
my my names and archetypes will be identified in my up and coming book now the infographics that i provided for you have a couple i haven't given you all because that would be giving away all of my magic but to give you a little bit of an idea like i said I've, i've renamed the fingers our thumb is our sun this has never been really identified in palmistry before but there are some schools apart literally we just do a thumb reading there are some places in India will just read your thumb and the thumb does identify the most aspects of self. Hmm. Yes, we've renamed the fingers. I don't feel Jupiter fits our index finger anymore because how we drive, how, how our personal drive comes from, it's more Martian these days. Mars gets the finger, literally. That, that's a bit of a joke, I suppose. But <laughs> when you think about it, our Mars finger, our, our index finger, is if we if we point at someone with enough force, we can literally curse them. And that is the power and the energy that can run through that index finger. Jupiter has become the uh, mount that exists between Mars and Saturn. Mm-hmm. Apollo has become the mount that appears between Saturn and Venus. Hang on, I'm going to interrupt you. Sure. Can you talk about the plane of Mars and what you have evolved that to, because I, I love that. I love what you've done with that. The plane of Mars is dedicated as Hecate's crossroads, which to me makes so much more sense because it talks about our worth, but ultimately it's where our path meets, where all the lines can meet and cross over. But also, too, the whole idea of evolutionary palmistry was given to me by Hecate, so she needed to be dedicated, needed a big dedication. In For our listeners who actually have the BOS pages and you're looking at them, Hecate's crossroads is a literal triangle in the center of the palm that incorporates all of the main lines. That's why I called it Hecate's crossroads, because it's where all the lines meet. This was the area that was known as the plane of Mars. When you looked at the traditional interpretations, that part of the palm had nothing to do with Mars, nothing. So (laughs) why it was named after him in the first place is beyond me. Wow. (laughs) I like your take much better. The other energetics that I will be incorporating to bring the feminine back in, we will have Isis. Athena and Lilith. Mm, Some heavy hitters. Absolutely. Love me a strong woman. (laughs) Absolutely. Like I said, I would love to have incorporated more feminine, but trying to find the right feminine energy that we can work with as well as the energy that flows through the hands. Renaming for the sake of renaming just didn't feel authentic or in integrity to me. So it it needed to be in alignment with things that we can use. I said, Saturn, uh, look, I'm one of those rare people that I love Saturn. Saturn gives us structure. Of course, a lot of people will see him as this limiting aspect, but when we work with him as someone that provides us structure, it doesn't have to be limiting. Yeah. Okay. So... We have discussed that this concept of changing the designations of the palm is not exactly celebrated or well-received within the palmistry community, but I want to know why you think that is because like, this is not a new thing whenever anyone tries to evolve a particular system of divination, like you always come up against the, 
the cl- classicists or the traditionalists. But why do you think that this is particularly the case with palmistry? Palmistry is ancient and as such it is steeped in tradition. And people hate it when you change traditions. And in places like India and China, it is a huge part of their beliefs, their ancient customs and their culture. So some Mm. will see it as disrespecting those cultures. Now, Mm. I I feel as some of the original written material has actually survived, people have clung to these traditions. And I, I, I completely understand their desire to do so. But in a modern age and a modern world, we must honour the ancients, honour their sacrifices and evolve. We need to evolve. The world is evolving. Our hands are evolving. The knowledge needs to evolve for palmistry to survive. This I feel is why so many people have tried to learn and keep saying to me, look, I've tried to learn and I can't get into it. I can't learn it. I can't remember it. It's like there is an energetic block because it is too traditional. I don't necessarily think like maybe this is just me, but I almost think that you're not, how do I put this? Because we are not in ancient times and we don't have the same lifestyles, the same diets, the same occupations that we once did as human beings. I feel like it's not even a comparison because it's not even the same structure that you're working with anymore. Well, I'll be be the first person to say that my technique for palmistry is probably not going to work for someone who is living a traditional life in China or India. For them, you should stick to the traditional ways. Mine is designed for modern people in a modern world where our world is constantly adapting, evolving and changing, where things are rarely the same from year to year. Mm. The, the, The knowledge needs to be upgraded. Honouring the traditions, but adapting them for the modern changing world. I like that very much. Feels more fluid, right? So can you tell us who your palmistry idols, both historically and maybe in modern times, might be? Oh, look, that's easy. No one. I honestly have I honestly <laughs> have yet to find a single reader that I completely agree with. There has been no single book I will tell people to read or buy. And it's actually one of the reasons I have been asked to write this book and teach for so long. I do have great respect for Richard Unger, who wrote a book called Life Prints. Now, this book is fascinating, but it, it primarily focuses on interpreting the prints over the hands as a whole. Now, forgive mm-hmm. me, I will butcher her name, but there is an amazing doctor in India by the name of, I think it's Ap- Aparita Rezida, yeah, again, forgive me, who has done some incredible research on palmistry and has found the correlation between print patterns and certain health problems, in particular breast cancer. There was like the number of loops and arches that you find on your fingers gave really good indicators as to whether or not you were susceptible to breast cancer. Oh, Wow. Wow. She was looking primarily at the health indicators. So they're the two people that I have the most respect for. The rest, I have been very much uh, a sampler 
It's like, yeah, that works, that doesn't, that works, that doesn't, that works, that doesn't. And mm-hmm. so there has been no real one book that I would say, yeah, buy that book and you'll be good, which is why, again, the pressure to to write this myself. Well, we are glad that you are writing this then. Thank you. Okay. It's taken so... me long enough. <laughs> well, good work takes time, right? So. Absolutely. I don't think it would have really evolved as much as it did or incorporated the archetypes as I'm going to incorporate them if it hadn't taken me this long. Yeah, I'm sure that's not something you could do overnight. So experience and study and time makes sense to me. Okay, so this is a fun question. What is the most creepy, spooky, or eerie poem you've ever had the lovely opportunity to read? It's harder to say because I, I see every hand as an opportunity to heal. But it's always hard for me to see the people who have been suffering and trapped because of either what they believe, what they taught, because of mental or physical illness. But before I developed a true understanding of palmistry, I would actually have to say the scariest hand was my own. I was told at a young age, now maybe 17 or 18, that I had no path and that I would most likely be dead by the time I was 32. Well, that's happy. I was a teenager with depression. That was awesome. That was just an awesome thing to be told. And it actually pushed me onto the the palmistry learning curve because I then went to try to find resources. And pretty much everything I found backed up this reader. Now, yeah, I, I was a teenager with depression, so I was devastated. But, yes, it inspired me to learn. And back in the 90s in Perth, the resources were so hard to come by and it was all just so demoralising. And it wasn't until I started working at the markets and my mentor said to me and, and pointed out and guided me, she said, no, it's just a huge life change. Look, this one ends, but this one begins. And it's just the change. She said to me, it's because you've left that old life behind and you are mm. embracing this new one. And it completely shifted my perspective. Now, it it was beautiful, but it made me so angry that that original palm reader in my youth caused me so much damage. And as I continued to read for others, especially in a touristy place like the Frio Markets, where I would see a lot of tourists from India and China, I kept having people come to me who, who told were told similar things. You know, they'd never find love, they'd never be happy, that they were going to die. And it, it literally ruined these people's lives, absolutely ruined their lives. And, and it still makes me angry that some people have so little consideration that the impact their words have on people's lives. It, it still makes me angry. I know it's not mm. quite what you asked, but when I see people who have quotation marks, bad or scary hands or markings, usually tied to mental health, physical health or, or impacts that are coming, What I do is I prepare them as best I can. I don't think anyone's hands are bad. It's just their story. And some stories are sadder than others. Mm. Oh, Kitty. Yeah. Do you have any palm reading stories? I I don't know if it's a serious palm reading story. It's kind of a funny. Okay. I want to hear it. I have since given up drinking. It's been about eight months since I've had a drink. But when I used to drink, 
I would apparently get to the point where I would want to read everyone's palms for them. <laughs> and there was a few times where I was told, I can just picture this. Uh, yeah. Where I was told, Hey, you know, my husband said to me one time, Hey, listen, I know you love to get to, to, to drink and, and read people's palms, but this is my boss that you're meeting. So you might want to <laughs> hold off on that tonight. That's all I got. <laughs> oh my <laughs> God. Oh, well, well, palm I'm reading surprised. can make you very popular at parties. I am shocked that your husband didn't say, look, we're meeting with my boss. So if you want to drink and read his palm, tell him he's giving me a raise. <laughs> <laughs> that probably would have been the smart way to go, but, but understandably, you know, he said not to. So I get that. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. That's actually pretty funny. I actually have one. It's interesting. It's actually my mom. She, when she was really young, she was in a grocery store. And there was a woman who was a palm reader in front of her at, at the store. And she read the cashier's palm while she was checking out. She just gave her like a, you know, quick overview, whatever. And so my mom was like really interested and she flipped her hand over and said, oh, what, what does mine say? And she was a, she was an old woman, this woman, and after a few minutes, she closed my mom's hand and she apologized to her. And she said, I'm sorry, I can't read your hand. Like, I, I won't read your hand. So oh. it scared the bejesus out of my mom. Yeah. While she was here. Oh, um, for her. The funny thing is, is that to this day, my mom remembers that, but she always wondered what the palm reader saw in her hand because it wasn't long after that, that she had a daughter that passed away and then she had me and I had congenital heart defect and she divorced my dad. So there was a lot of traumatic things that she went through. So my mom's always wondered, she's like, I wonder which traumatic thing she saw. Wow. <laughs> and I said, well, if I had to guess, like it might've been like my sister's death or something. Could have been. Quite possibly. I don't know. Can you see that in a palm? To a, you can see the impacts. You can see, mm. I mean, especially with children and that there are certain elements that we can sort of see and rather than predict the future, we can see trends, mm. you know, the way, way things are trending because, again, not being in a fixed state. But I right. also would say if she had seen those things, then maybe she could have warned your mother to take better care of herself to have looked after certain things better, to have improved certain things, to reduce those risks. Get her to take some photos and send them to me and I'll have a look. Okay, I can do that. Cool. Okay, Corin, it has been a pleasure getting to chat with you today and we are so excited to order and read the finished product when it comes out. But would you like to tell our listeners where they can find you online and how to support your work in evolutionary palmistry or even other metaphysical arts that you perform? Oh, absolutely. Look, as far as social media goes, I'm kind of old school. You can find me on Facebook by searching evolutionary palmistry. I also have my website, which is evolutionarypalmistry.com. 
I'm available for private readings, healing sessions, and consultations. But anyone who really wants to get involved and learn palmistry and support its evolution, I have an upcoming Indiegogo campaign where you can sign up and support my work. You can purchase anything from the printable infographics to the digital book to a physical copy of the book, Sessions With Me, or the groundbreaking courses, which will teach and empower people to not only read for themselves and others, but to use my methods to heal and overcome the blocks we were once told were absolutes. Just search for Evolutionary Palmistry on Indiegogo to become a founding member of the Evolution Revolution. Evolution Revolution. I love that. that. The University of Evolution Revolution. <laughs> I think we're all students of that if we are actively working to grow, evolve. Love it. Awesome. So now that we have merged the masculine and the feminine in our hands, it's time to say, see you next week. Please remember to like, share, and subscribe to ensure notifications of our future weekly episodes. And remember, whether you're in the land of the Fae or the land of the ancestors, stay otherworldly.